Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people. And you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six point five percent was it? Is is that what the current odds are of the Stanley Cup? Well, and you if you look at the round by round progression, the Stanley Cup favorite is uh-huh. the Vancouver Canucks. Like what a time to be alive! I- Talking you through every goalie controversy, scoring slump, and draft lottery bust. This is the C Four Podcast on CanucksHockeyBlog.com. Here they are, the best starting lineup we could afford under the salary cap. Chris, Matt, Anna, and Adam. Welcome to another episode of the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast, brought to you by the Full Press Coverage Network and CanucksHockeyBlog.com. I am Chris. He is Chris. This is Chris and Chris's Canucks Commentary, otherwise known as C4 version 2.0. Welcome, Chris Faber. Hey, I'm happy to be here, Chris. It's always good. Uh, and I, I'm happy that your name is spelt the correct way as well. Maybe you can speak to this. I, I think Chris, C-H-R-I-S, mm-hmm. that's how it should be spelt. And I've lost trust in other people who do not spell it that way, whether it's C-R-I-S or mm-hmm. K-R-I-S I've seen. It's just there's something good about the H in there. And I think that's what ruins it for some people. I trust anybody who spells it C-H-R-I-S. I growing up the number of times that it was CRIS or KRIS like like I played soccer I played softball and I had coaches who like saw me twice at minimum per week spell my name wrong because to them the H did not belong and it drove me nuts. I also had one coach who he knew me as Chris but I didn't realize he thought there was a T at the end like it was hmm. Chris and he would put that down on like a team list and Christ was playing for the Richmond Fury, so <laughs> yeah, absolutely lighting it up. I'm sure, Chris. But oh, are you yeah. uh, are you a Chris or a Christopher? Full name Christopher. Uh, full name Christopher. Um, okay. And then, but I mean, that's the name that my wife or mom uses when I'm in trouble, or people who like. I grew up in the air, and I talk about this how uh, I needed to put my legal name on on payroll to get paid. Like if you went into a bank back in the day and it said Chris Golden, oh no. That's not you. Now, like, I don't even think banks look at the check. They trust everything you say. Um, but I, uh, I prefer Chris. Um, and 
Christopher comes out once in a while, but I, I won't correct necessarily, but I will. If someone asks, I prefer Chris. That's one thing that's been passed down from my mother to my fiance is when I hear Christopher, it's oh. not good. <laughs> yeah. But that's the other thing that people don't notice is like, so I don't know if you've done this, but a lot of emails that you have, whether it be for work or you just want to use your name, you use Christopher. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you, you go up and whatever, like say back in the day, maybe Blockbuster need your email or something or nowadays, whatever you sign up for. And then you're like, oh, like you don't notice that Christopher is 11 letters long. Like it's a long name when you actually type no. <laughs> the um, when computers and whatnot really started taking hold, um, a lot of names or name fields had a 10 letter maximum for first name. <laughs> and so the number of times I was Christoph. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's pretty good too. That's uh, the e at the end there would be a lot of fun. Yeah, but uh, have you ever been called Topher? So my brother, who's a year younger than me, couldn't say my name when he was very mm-hmm. young, and it was just fur. It was everywhere I went, you'd hear fur, fur, fur. Like that's what he called me because my mom, my mom calls me Christopher still, like today, like she'll, yeah. she'll call me Christopher when she's yeah when she's talking about you, she talks about Christopher. So my brother heard that he couldn't say the Christa part of it. It was just yeah. fur. So uh, when I was a kid, it was very much fur all the time, but not not Topher. Uh, I feel like I might have used that in like a like a username back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like, I, but I writing like Topher as in yeah. like fur on the toe. Yeah, I've I've done Topher with usernames where my like Lightforce is taken somehow because some jerk took it. Um, then I'll use like Topher, Topher G, stuff like that. But uh, at uh, a couple jobs ago, my team they were talking about Topher Grace. And I'm like, wow, that's a that's a pretty unique name. I'm like, what are you talking about, Topher? <laughs> like, who would name their kid Topher? Someone who called their kid Christopher? And it like blew their mind that someone would choose to go with Topher. I mean, as he has instead of Chris. And I'm like thinking, you know, that's like you know 3D chess because growing up. I had like in what grade it was in school. There were five Christophers, mm. right? So that's the year where I started calling everyone by their last name because it was just easier to keep track. And then if you add the Christine and Christina's, there was I think eight of us in that classroom in a iteration of Chris. We all went by Chris. Like even even the girls was like Chris. So I, I remember like the same kind of age when you start being called by last names. It's funny. Like in our friend group, there was me and another Chris mm-hmm. and his last name, I guess, wasn't as cool as mine. So he just stuck as Chris. And I obviously mm. went by favor, which kind of, you know, feels like a, a half decent nickname ish slash last name. So his yeah. wasn't uh, his wasn't the cooler last name or maybe he was just a cooler person in general. And he got to earn the name of Chris. And I just got stuck with the last name. But it, it's stuck up to this point, I think, so far. Yeah. Well, and I think in, in fairness to the to yourself, but also to those who are listening to the show, most may know you as favor. I mean, it's often what you're referred to as, uh, and not so much as, as Chris. And again, I'm not trying to denigrate the first name because we share it and all that, but it, it acts as a good segue because we are here to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. And what took place today was a press conference that sounded very Jim-esque, which is interesting because that could apply for the last like 12 years of Jim. But we're not talking about the same gym, and that's somewhat surprising, or not. We're going to get into that. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that the Vancouver Canucks are coming home off a win, which is amazing. 
and uh, whatnot. But uh, one thing we did want to touch on straight off a rewind is the passing of Gino Ojek. Yeah, I mean, we started our show with this today, and it's uh, it's a tough turn to take off of this because, man, yeah, we knew before he passed how much Canucks fans absolutely love Gino. Um, I told a story today that, uh, you know, we, we always saw him in the press box and he was always out of there pretty quick, uh, getting in the same elevator as us. And the last thing I remember was like, it was a jam packed day. The last Canucks home game that there was, I can't even remember who they played against. Who would have been, it would have been the avalanche. It was a four, two win against the avalanche. Um, and Gino's looking at all the media members, like pouring out of the press box, getting to that media elevator. And it was the same one he took because it takes you down to, you know, parking level zero or whatever it is the the security area and he would get out there but uh sit there and he's about to hop in and gino's a big dude <laughs> he looks at the uh the room in the elevator and then he looks at a couple other media members he's like ah you get you guys are more important than me <laughs> he just like sends people through and and i i still remember it was the 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 second loudest i've ever heard rogers arena was um so the first is, is game seven against the blackhawks when i was in there mm-hmm. for that that was still I feel like I said that last time I was uh, filling in to go host here, but I can't stop bringing up that moment. But the second loudest was the first time Gino came back to Rogers arena after dealing with illness would have been 2013 ish, 2012 ish kind of timeline. And it was the first time he was back in Rogers arena and just showed him on the camera. You know, he was back at Rogers arena back supporting the Canucks and that arena went nuts. Like just the Gino chance going and. You know, Gino's a little bit before my time. I didn't watch him play. I didn't. Uh, I didn't see him in person. Mm-hmm. But just to see like some of the clips of what kind of impact he made on this team is incredible, and the fan base more specifically. I mean, you hear everybody has a story about him, right? Like everybody mm-hmm. seemed to run into him out at lunch or something in Vancouver, and then he just he just lit up a room. So it's it's a huge loss for so many different communities, not just Canucks fans, but you know what Gino's meant to so many people it's uh it's a horrible loss and uh he definitely fought for a long time from you know I don't know the ins and outs of exactly what was going on health-wise with him but we know that it was uh it was a long battle for him and and he's definitely gonna be missed not only in the Canucks community but hockey community indigenous community everybody's going to very much miss what what this man did because it sounds like he was a hell of a man from the people that really knew him yeah, I I grew up in the era of Gino. I mean, I, I started paying attention to the Canucks in the 80s when they weren't that good. And uh, when he sort of arrived in the 90s was when, like, that team had a whole lot of character and some would say characters. Gino was a character. I mean, he had this presence. And every story you hear, whether it be uh, from those he played against, those he played with, and, and even some of the, the younger players that looked up to him, you know, stories from Carey Price and Ethan Bear and, and, and what have you, um, he had this way about him that was so ingratiating. And, you know, it's, it's rare to see that type of player um, – you know, in the role that he was, and this is not a knock against like the enforcer uh, or anything, because many of them are very much, you know, like the kind of souls, but there was something about Gino that um, he was, you know, he described himself as, you know, a, a kid from the res. And, and I'm, I don't know, you know, what that might be, but based on what I interpreted as, as is, is, 
like any 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 kid that could potentially dream of aspiring to do something something you know as as big as he did he he the impact though that he had like when he hit the ice he came up in an era of of really sort of hardworking um you know blue collar hockey in Vancouver and yes Pavel Bure was the opposite to that Pavel Bure I'm not necessarily knocking the hardworking blue collar he was not uh, and hardworking so long it was on the right side of the uh, the red line. But the the Gino component, here was a guy who, and uh, they showed the clip today, who would go after anyone if you outright looked at one of his teammates the wrong way. Like there was a clip against the Blues where he was taking on all comers, skating around the ice. And I don't know who it was who tried to come by with like a clothesline to stop Gino. And Gino's like, yeah, dip. Okay, let's go. Um but when I think about the one time I had an opportunity to sort of be in the same airspace as him, he was the most popular person in the room, hands down. This, had, this room contained alumni such as Kirk McLean, Cliff Ronning, Trevor Linden, like the players of my era, and Gina Ojik. And yeah, Kirk got attention, Trevor got attention, Cliff was getting attention. Gino, I couldn't get close to him. I mean, I could have maybe forced my way over there, but everyone wanted to talk to him. And he's just, you know, talking to everyone. Yeah. I think the other thing was just like seeing some of the photos of him, whether I think it must've been the early nineties, but just like the smile that he had was just like, it was, a, it was like an inviting smile, right? Like it looked like that. And it, it just kind of like when I have met him and, and seen him over the time, I've never really had like a long conversation with him, but always little quick things here and there. And it's just like, he just always had that like he has like an inviting smirk now like mm-hmm. that's what that's what something that uh definitely j- just could tell that this guy was i don't know you get you get a good vibe from certain people and i always like i never knew this guy like i didn't know him personally i didn't know him, but i just like you walk by and you had a good vibe and some people just do that and it feels like gino was one of them i can like we we're gonna hear stories obviously in the next couple weeks here from people that have been around him i'm sure whether you know, it'd be on podcasts or radio or anything. You're going to hear a lot of yeah. stories and I, I can't wait for it. Cause like, I, I, I know what he's like as a person just passing by, or like you said, getting a chance to meet fans or something like that. Imagine what it was like to be his teammate. Like how, how, oh, yeah. how many good stories we're, we're going to hear about this guy. So yeah, I mean, to, you know, in, in, in your young fifties, it's, it's too soon. And especially on a guy who, you know, definitely battled for a long time for what it sounds like. He did. And then he, he, if there is, really a, a good description of, of Gino is a guy that, you know, never turned down a fight and more often or not came out on the, the right side of one. And arguably, I mean, he, this is a guy that was given two weeks to like maybe a month diagnosis, uh, when he was, was, um, diagnosed as having, I think it was called amyloidosis, um, something along those lines, it was like a, heart, a blood disorder, hardening of the heart, if I recall. And that was, gosh, uh, like nine years ago. And again, you're right. 52, far too young, but nine years from weeks to months, that's because this, this guy decided that he would, you know, fight through almost everything. And, and, you know, I, 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 um, know someone through Canuck social media, um, who has known him for quite some time. And I mean, they had planned to get together, uh, uh, on Wednesday. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it is sad that, uh, that Vancouver has lost, you know, Gino and I, I, 
I don't know if people outside of Vancouver really, I mean, players, they know of Gino, but I don't think people understand the impact he had. Like the city of Vancouver has lowered the flag at city hall with Gino's passing. Like that's the impact he has had on the city, not a star player, not like, uh, you know, all-star in the NHL's eyes, but uh, us here in Vancouver, if you grew up with Gino, I honestly think he could probably knock Trevor Linden off the popularity um, podium. Oh, I mean, I agree. And like you said, you you were there to at least witness it, Chris. So I just, you know, I think it's, I don't know. It just feels like that role of, listen, we all like someone who protects, right? Mm-hmm. Whether you're, it's, you know, I, I see it with my spouse all the time, whether it's how she protects me ways or how I see, you know, I always thought that was the way that you should do it with you know when you're in school protect people don't let people get bullied or pushed around and it's interesting to see that dynamic go into sports and you don't see it as often but i think back in those days it was something that happened often it felt like gino came in and stopped having the canucks be pushed around he was there to protect the players and i mean that's an incredible role for someone to play so uh obviously a huge fan favorite in gino like it's it's gonna be very different uh, feeling around the organization. You could hear it from Jim Rutherford. How he started the press conference today, how much it meant just kind of hearing it from his voice. Uh, and I know that, like, I don't want to say he was at every single Canucks home game this year, but I saw him at almost every single Canucks home game this year. And, you know, very much going to miss uh, getting an opportunity to even share an elevator with the dude. So, yeah, yeah. tough, uh, tough weekend. Tough yeah, weekend I- for sure. The um the news of, of Gino's passing broke uh, during their their game on on Sunday, and at the end of a what had been a very tough road trip, um, the Vancouver Canucks when uh, Anna or I guess Jay and I because Anna wasn't here last week either when Jay and I spoke, uh, had just lost to the the Jets in a pretty solid fashion. Um, Jay and I had sort of looked ahead and thought ah, you know maybe Florida might be a a team they could beat. And uh, we had thought maybe Pittsburgh might be a, a point to be had. Uh, Vancouver came out real well against the Penguins and then lost 5-4. Uh, they put up a decent fight against the Lightning, but lost 5-4. Uh, I thought they did better in Florida, lost 4-3. And with the news on Sunday, uh, Gino had passed when, at the time, I think the Vancouver Canucks were down 2-0, you know, it, 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 rightfully so, you know, took over sort of the, the narrative of Canucks social media and it's just the Canucks themselves. And honest to goodness, I had to look at my notes to realize the Vancouver Canucks did actually come back to win that one in a shootout. Probably the one game, I don't think anyone had necessarily given the Vancouver Canucks a, an opportunity to win. So I ask you this, they won one, will they win again? Um. I mean, they got the Blackhawks on the 24th. So, ah, yes, that's a team that knows how to tank. That That is. That is a team that is tanking better than the Vancouver Canucks, even though Jim Rutherford today mentioned that maybe they are tanking uh, <laughs> here in Vancouver. Uh, but you got the Lightning coming up here on Wednesday, following that up with the Avalanche, the Oilers. I tell you what, this, uh, the more you watch Conor Bernard highlights and the more you watch this Canucks team, you wonder if there's something a little magic happening here in Vancouver, right? Like, you know, these, I don't go into a lot of Canucks games now thinking 
listen, I, I mentioned the Blackhawks there, but I'm not like confident that the Canucks are yeah. going to beat the Blackhawks. And I, I see that team being one of the weakest ones in the NHL. So yeah, it's hard to like, you can't go into the role. Like you can't go into the calendar anymore and pick a spot where the Canucks are probably going to have three in a row, right? Like that's, that's not something you can do right now with this team. So listen, they'll win again, but I don't know if they're winning again like that. And that's the biggest problem actually, maybe with the Canucks is like, right. When you think they're out, they come right back. And it was like, you know, I'm writing the outline for my show on Monday and I'm doing this on Sunday afternoon, getting things kind of prepped. And, and you know, the first couple things I'm writing is, uh, you know, an Oh five and Oh road trip, all this stuff, right. When I count them out, that's when they score and, light things up, come back, win the game. It's just, uh, it's it's a difficult spot for the Canucks because I don't think the playoffs are in the conversation anymore. So some Canucks fans don't want the Vancouver Canucks to win anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I'll admit, I can get a little down on this team from time to time, uh, smidge. I don't have faith that the Vancouver Canucks could execute a tank at this stage of the season to put themselves in a good position to claim that first overall pick. But I've also come to understand the Vancouver Canucks will never possess a first overall pick. So I'm just, I can't be disappointed when they, they don't get it despite having an opportunity to do so. I think for me, what I want and is, is not so much wins, but games where the sort of give a damn meter existed like, and I even, even now when that would potentially put the Vancouver Canucks into, you know, the playoff hunt fringe, which is not where me and others have suggested they should go. I have more time for a team that puts in what I can see as a solid effort. Like I, I put up with the Canucks in the eighties and nineties and yeah, maybe some of those teams weren't that good, but at no point would I be looking at like, I mean, I harp on JT Miller all the time, but how many times is in this road trip that I see JT Miller shut down, not seem to give a damn. I actually made a comment um, just over a week ago when someone had um, said that JT Miller uh, didn't give an F. And I'm like, well, that's because he dropped them all last season. He has no more to give. Yeah, either that or he's smacking them on the crossbar somewhere. But I'm with you in the camp of like, the give a damn meter is interesting for me. I I found it really, and it's weird. I, for some reason, I've talked about the Montreal Canadiens so much over the past like few days here. But when PK Subban comes out and gives a speech, kind of pregame there to those players, and mentions like you play hard for these fans, they're going to love you. Mm-hmm. And the Canadians are in the middle of a rebuild. The Canucks maybe not because uh, apparently they're in a retool. But the part that I think needs rebuilding the most is something that Jim Rutherford mentioned today. And that's playing like a team and how to me like this, this team, this Vancouver Canucks team is wildly inconsistent. And I think it starts with a lot of that. Give a damn meter. Are you going to come out and give a damn every single night? Or are you going to give a damn when Bruce Boudreaux is getting fired? If you lose this game five, one again, right? Like how many games lose at home five, one. And then you're going to come out and have that huge game where Pedersen rips it up against the crack. And after back-to-back 5-1 losses at home, Pedersen comes out. And if you lost that game 5-1, you think Bruce Boudreaux is coming back the next game? I don't think so. After three games at home, losing 5-1. So that type of feeling towards the game of hockey needs to be there on a more consistent basis. And it just feels like you could see it even in the Carolina game where 
when that second goal goes in, it feels like a lot of players maybe check out, right? Yeah. And I think that's a very difficult spot because if some of your leaders check out, and I think JT Miller is one of those leaders, if he checks out, you don't want that bleeding into the next level of leadership where, to me, the leaders of this team and the biggest ones on the ice are guys like Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. And I don't think they're checked out. These guys want to win more than anybody on this planet. They want to win hockey games. That's in the blood of Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. And I just really don't want to ever even start to consider getting to a point where winning doesn't matter as much to a guy like Elias Pettersson. You want that winning mentality to be something that he keeps throughout his hockey career. And I think he will. Like, I really think he will. But I wonder if it ever gets to the point, and I don't want it to get to the point before he needs to sign a contract here at the Vancouver Canucks, but I bet if that thought crosses his mind, he's talked about wanting to be in a winning environment and with a winning team for his next contract. Mm -hmm. You don't want to see a player like him have to go through, you know, the, the prime of his career, hopefully in the, in the mid twenties, young twenties, you don't want to see him go through that prime and, and winning, not be something that motivates him enough. And I don't think we're going to see it because I, I have a feeling he wants to win so bad that it might not be here in Vancouver. It's, it's very difficult, right? Like, that's the thing that I don't think every like I don't think every person every player has that like I don't think they have the same win more than anything feeling towards a game of hockey like an Elias Pettersson. I just really don't want to see that lost from a guy like him because of the environment that we're seeing with the Vancouver Canucks. And that's a that's a scary thought. Like it is a scary thought as someone who follows this team, covers this team, has to deal with this team twenty four seven basically on my brain. Unfortunately, because it's I can't even go to I can't even go to work to escape it because I go to work and I have to cover the Canucks so like <laughs> there are certain things you want like this team just to do and I, I think that's one of the bigger worries for me is yeah I don't think the roster needs as much rebuilding as the culture does right now and that's it, it shouldn't take Kevin Bieksa coming in and telling you to stay late for practice it shouldn't take Bieksa telling you certain things like he did in his speech that really felt like they affected the team I, I was there the practice after Bieksa spoke and they were doing it was different like it was a different feeling after that and I'm like man it, it you can mo- like somebody should be motivating them from the inside on this, or maybe BX just needs to be on the bench or something. Like, it, I, it's wild to me. You know, we'll get into because there was there was a press conference that took place to get it today, and I sort of wanted to end off rewind with it because arguably it's the last thing that's occurred. Um, but uh, before we do get there, um, prior to you know the news of, of Gino's passing, which rightfully so dominated the conversation. Uh, news came out last week that uh, Tanner Pearson suffered a setback uh, in his recovery, uh, had to have another surgery, and his season is likely done. And, you know, uh, Canucks fans uh, thought, okay, that's too bad. You know, there are, a lot of people have all the time in the world for Tanner. And uh, Patrick Johnson, who happened to follow the team on the road, friend of the show, and he asked Quinn Hughes a question about, yeah, like, you know, how you feel about uh, the news today about Tanner Pearson and, and Quinn uh, suggested that, uh, you know, I'm paraphrasing here and reinterpreting the word somewhat Tanner got done dirty. Right. And, yeah. and that set off a, a storm, um, both one in the Canucks Twitter sphere, Canucks, well, the Smeal sphere, as I would call it, uh, Canucks media, obviously 
peaked up. Uh, the NHL peaked up because like, oh, okay, what's going on here? The PA is also interested. And as a result, I have never seen a team schedule themselves a press conference to come in and talk about a situation such as this, especially a Vancouver Canucks team who, how long has it been since, you know, really, you know, Rutherford or Alvin had had a press conference to get in front of the media and address questions outside of maybe spots on like Sportsnet or Hockey Night, what have you, and have been trotting Bruce out to answer questions that, you know, he's in a tough situation about. Like it just, it, it was kind of surreal for this to all happen. And then the press conference went in many directions, but you're closer to the situation than I am. Like with, with the Pearson issue, there seems to be some smoke. Do you agree? I mean, you said it like the exact quote from Hughes was that wasn't handled right. And multiple surgeries now. Um, I think that if that quote doesn't come out from Quinn Hughes, we're thinking, ah, oh, no, was it an infection? Was it, you know, a surgery gone wrong? Or now that we have the context from Quinn Hughes saying that wasn't handled right. That's, that's what we have to work with. That is the leading information we have on the story. It's coming mm-hmm. from the player who says that wasn't handled right. That's, that's a massive quote. This is, there's a reason why this was, you know, one of the first things that was talked about on hockey night in Canada on the Saturday. This is, Man, it, it's another story in the season of the Vancouver Canucks that just can't stop crapping out stories. Like it's, it's wild to see that we get to this point. And you know, they came out today. They the two doctors and uh, Jim Rutherford spoke for eighteen minutes before we really started to uh, get into the hockey team. And bef- before we go too much, because I know we're going to rewind back a little bit of the the Rutherford stuff. I, I do want to give a lot of credit and praise to Jim Rutherford because he spoke for almost an hour today. You know, spent about, you know, like I said, about 18 minutes uh, with the two doctors handling the Pearson situation. But then he spent nearly half an hour just with us in the media asking him questions about the situation. Like we got to a point where the PR mem- like the PR staff is normally like, OK, a couple more questions, a couple more questions. They said that. And then Rutherford was like, no, I'm here. We're here. Like, keep going. And yeah. we went today with the media until there was no questions left. Like. We got to a point and normally the PR staff steps in. Okay, that's enough. Like whatever, wrap it up here. No, we just like we finished. Nobody had any more questions. So props to him for that, first of all. But yeah, it's it's tough to like, I understand that things can happen in the medical world that obviously make complications and situations like that. It, it's very unfortunate for Tanner Pearson, who listen, wasn't having a great season, but no player should have to go through multiple surgeries. I don't care how out of a season you're having to to go what he's gone through this year uh, is a tough spot to be in for any player who now kind of like reading between the lines here and from some of the reports we've seen out there from you know top guys like Elliot Friedman and stuff not sure what the future of Tanner Pearson's playing career is at yeah. this point that's that's difficult no matter what no matter what you think of the player or cap space and all that crap it's unfortunate to to hear that question I mean we've we've heard that about Tucker Pullman a lot and heard a little bit more about that today as well but for this to come from what felt like a, and what we heard was a, a four to six week injury. Yeah. The, this context from Quinn Hughes, I think adds a lot to it because otherwise it could have just been, we would have really known, but to hear him say something like that, I, I've said it for a while. I really do think that Quinn Hughes is like, I, I think he's potentially the best future captain of this team. 
and people can go back and say the stuff about JT Miller doing that. I think the, the JT Miller captain ship may have uh, sailed off a little bit, but I, I also think back to, if you remember Brock Besser's presser last year at the mm-hmm. end of the season, which was very difficult. I was in the room for that as well. Some of the questions that were being asked of him, I, I was extremely uncomfortable uh, for him in that spot to answer some of these questions. And if you go back and watch that, uh, I believe it's it's Pedersen and maybe I feel like it might have been Garland or Demka was the the fourth player up there. I can't remember exactly, but Quinn Hughes was the one who stepped in every time when it was getting difficult for for Brock Besser to listen. Like the questions that were being asked, and the situation he was put in was so difficult, but it was Hughes and he was stepping up and, and you know that's enough, whatever, moving on, or he would answer the question or something like that. And I just look at that. That's a leader. Like that's mm-hmm. a leader. And in the day-to-day answering the the a captain has to do in a Canadian market, those type of pressure things mean a lot to me as a captain. That's why I look at Quinn Hughes and I think this is a leader. He spoke out again about something like this. Is he speaking for the room? Not every player probably, but for him to come out and say this as a quote that's going to be out there like Patrick Johnson did as somebody in the media who's on the road with this team, maybe somewhat of another leadership move there in my eyes. Yeah. I, I, honest to goodness, did not know that about uh, Quinn. It reinforces a conversation that I know we've had on this show about, you know, potential future captains, because I think if you listen to the press conference today, Bo Horvat's not going to be a Vancouver Canuck uh, much longer. Um, you know, Quinn's name comes up in the conversation. I, I think we, we settle on, on PD, uh, not JT, please. And JT can keep an A if he sticks around um, or Quinn. Yeah, I'm, like I, um, I think there's a difference between a Canadian market and an American market, maybe. Where look at what Bo's had to do for the last what is it three years now? Like day to day, hey Bo, the team's still not good. What do you have to say about it? I don't think that's gonna be something that uh, Pedersen maybe even wants to do. Yeah, I think that in that situation, if you think worst case Ontario here. Quinn Hughes might be a better guy to be the one talking for the team on a day-to-day basis about why is why aren't you guys winning? Why aren't you guys winning? Pedersen is uh you know, he's gonna run out of death stairs, you know, if they have a bad season. So well, I think I, mean, I, I don't I, I genuinely would wonder at what point will PD go and light whomever asked the question on fire, not only with stare, but with whatever the, the response would be. And it would be like deadpan delivery. I not only did I just you know, and you, your soul is mine. Like I, I feel PD could potentially have that impact. I'm wondering if that's what happened to, uh, to Drance or batch. And that's where their hair is going. Maybe uh, that was something <laughs> behind the scenes that we didn't see. So, I, now I got to be worried. I still got yeah, some, some girls so up here. This, so teacher, this, this is why you don't ask PD the, the, the questions <laughs> that he does not wish to answer. Um, uh, yeah. Sorry. If I could just add, just yeah. add to that too. I also think that Pedersen is, is such a good, and this is something I've learned from being in the room more, is he's such a great person to ask a great question to. Like, he's my favorite player when I, in my mind, I feel like I have a great question. I think he gives the best answer to a great question. And I think he appreciates a really good question. And that's the thing where it's like, that's why I don't really want him to be the one answering every day. I want to be able to hear Pedersen give a great answer to a great question instead of just a, you guys lost five, three again. What did you think? Like he's not the type of person who should kind of be there day to day answering that in my eyes. I think he's the one where 
you know, you win five, four, you lost five, four, what happened in this situation here? What was happening? Like that's when I think Pedersen is the best with the media. And in my eyes, I think Quinn is just in a better spot moving forward to be this team's captain. I think. Well, getting into the the press conference, Bo Horvat. I mean, I sort of want to touch on that. Uh, Jim uh, Rutherford said that they have made what he feels is their best offer to the Horvat camp. Uh, you know, based on evaluation, he acknowledged that Bo is having a career year and. Uh, I found it interesting that he had sort of posited that Bo Horvat wants to to make some money. I, I feel that that is the uh, trying to go on attack here because we know we're going to take some some heat when he goes somewhere or we trade him. But if you don't like Bo Horvat, you're somehow discounting the fact he will get paid in the market. And those who have been in the Horvat camp all along are wondering. Why did you sign JT Miller over your captain? Like you had two guys, both of which were going into the same situation. You made it very clear where your priority is. And now you want to come back and say, we still love you too. It doesn't work. Like I, I am sad to think that we're not going to see Bo Horvat as a Canuck. Like, I honestly don't know how they work it out at this point. Is there a way? No, I don't think so. Um, He's got a very good agent who makes a lot of money and that agent makes a lot of money from getting his players a lot of money in free agency mm-hmm. or re-signing a big contract. And unfortunately, I don't think the Canucks have the space or have set themselves up to have a position to really sign Horvat for what he up to this point in the season and this point in his career is literally like rightfully do right? Like yeah. he's one of the top goal scoring players in the league. He's been used in a matchup role for how many years here for the Vancouver Canucks? He's had no wingers to play with for half of those years. And I couldn't root for somebody more to go win a Stanley Cup than Bo Horvat. I don't, man, I don't want to say it, but like, even if he goes to the Bruins, like, and they're on a tear with this team right now. I don't know. I think they just lost like their first regulation loss on home ice this season, which is crazy. We're halfway through the season. I think that's the only one maybe I won't root for Bo Horvat to win the Stanley Cup maybe if he goes to the Bruins. But to, I I want to see this guy have success. I really think he deserves it. He has carried so much water for this organization over the years. And I got to think it's just worn on him to a point where even if the Canucks had a ton of money to give to him, for him, like, it's gotta you got to think he'd be happier somewhere else. Like I, yeah. He's had some really tough things to deal with here in Vancouver. And I think a lot of that has been the situation around him, obviously with this team. But I mean, this guy has been here since the team started talking about a retool after the 2011 and 12 teams, right? Like it's wild to think of the road he's had to go through. I, I can't think of a guy wanting out more like, and it's not like he's made that public or clear, but like if I was in that situation, God, I'd be, I'd be ready to go wherever. Like if you had like a no trade clause and I always thought that was strange about Horvat too. the, the contract he signed, you're giving no trade, uh, you know, some of the, the players that got no trade, uh, in their contract, but Horvat never had one. He's never had one. It's, it's wild to me. That's like another, you know, cherry on top of this whole situation is mm-hmm. you can't trade Tyler Myers, but you can trade the captain, Bo Horvat. He doesn't have any trade protection. It's, it's yeah. another wild kind of cherry in, in the whole situation here. Hey, another player that can be traded this year is J, um, JT Miller. Yes. Your last not, chance. Not, not that that'll happen. And it sort of, you know, ties in because 
you know, Jim had said um, he, he had come in thinking he needed to free up cap space, um, but then realized how hard it was. And he had inherited a, a, quite a few bad contracts. No surprise. But did he envision teams not knowing these contracts were were bad? Like, I don't quite understand what the game plan that he and his front office had. But the con- connected tissue here to JT Miller, his own management group was the one who gave Miller a contract he doesn't worry about because the cap's always going up. It's okay to throw money. So wait, what is it? Is it JT Miller is the reason why you can't keep a player like Bo Horvat and, and make deals? Is it the bad? Like it feels to me that you're you're trying to do many different things with that one slice of cake, and you can't have it every every which way. Oh, it's it's true. I mean that is that is the situation. I mean the money that. JT Miller's about to start getting next year could have very easily been Bo Horvat's. And it, it even sounds like a lot of the reports we heard that it probably would have been less if they would have made that decision in the summer to go with Horvat. It mm-hmm. probably would have been less. And then you would have been looking at this season and thinking, geez, 30 goals at the halfway mark? We like that. We like what Bo Horvat's doing. We, this is great. This is awesome. And hey, we also got that uh, that prospect coming that we traded JT Miller for. That could be a yeah. <laughs> I mean... I don't know. It's so wild. Some of the decisions with this team where it's just like they make a decision. You're like, hmm, like maybe that'll work out. Maybe JT Miller will be good for three, four more years. 80, 90 point guy. Maybe, maybe he'll figure some things out and he can play center. And it's like, or they could have traded him for whatever that deal was back. Uh, that, that sat reported. Was it uh Heedle Lundquist and a first or something like along those lines. Mm-hmm. And it's like, man, that would have been cool. That's like a, it felt like a slam dunk, you know, when you look back at it now and it just feels like two decisions where you need to kind of hope for everything to fall into place for it to be a good decision. And this one, now the situation that presents itself for me and what this team can do, I mean, trading Horvat for an absolute haul, he's everybody's number one on the trade deadline. You, you got to like, you have to trade him at this point. I think you need to do the same thing with Luke Shen. I also think you got to do the same thing with Andre Kuzmenko. Like these feel like yeah. the decisions where they are alley oops presenting themselves for you to slam them on like a five foot hoop. Like it shouldn't be that hard to really have a good takeaway here and actually start to do something that is a step down the road of a rebuild. When we heard retool today, but like whoa, those whoa, whoa, whoa. rebuild <laughs> that that no 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 we have a good core and rebuilds take too long four to five years but I am now. happy. We've heard Patrick Alvin all year. He didn't like, he doesn't like the rebuild word either. He's been saying build, build, build. And that's what I asked today. And I did get a word that started with RE. So I was happy. Like at least it was, <laughs> they, they are going to re something. So I guess re is retool better than just build. Cause I oh. feel like it might be. I, so I asked this question. Oh gosh. I think it might've been to, um, Frankie Corrado, because, I mean, he when we had him on the show, he was talking about when he sort of was playing for the Canucks. I mean, he played under Tortorella, and that was the sort of the beginning of the whatever you want to call the past uh, decade. Um, re-something. Call it a stale decade. Isn't that what uh, Tortorella called? What did he call the roster stale? He's the roster stale. It needs to be blown up. It needs to become younger, quicker, and all that. And I mean, gosh darn it. When you're agreeing with Tortorella at, you know, and then thinking back, I wish he was still around because, boy, it would have blown up. Um, the 
Fact remains, the Vancouver Canucks have not rebuilt. Teams who have, like the Colorado Avalanche, like there was a, a, a stat that showed like the Vancouver Canucks and the Avalanche, I think it was like in, was it uh, 17? May have been even before that. They were like, boom, within points. Avs had a couple sort of tough seasons after that. And now look at them. Whereas the Vancouver Canucks, they had like, they were on sort of a static plane that have slowly declined and a team that blew it up. And a team that has retooled, retooled. And, you know, back to your earlier point about building a winning culture and, and having players understand what it is to win. I think there is a lot of uh, strength in that. Mm. But you need to win. Having people that know what it's like to win and winning are not the same thing. Yeah, Jay Beagle isn't going to fix everything. Not gonna, that type of player is not going to come in. But I, I find it, you bring it up that like watching the seasons comparing the Canucks to the avalanche. And it's almost like you could look back and maybe there's a chart you can build of like points percentage for the Canucks. And in the last 10 years, you'd see all these very low spots. Then you'd see they made the playoffs uh, or they made the playoffs. That to me is like the, that's the, that's as high as like anything can happen can go. That's where the, anything can happen should show up when you're talking about this team where it's like, like the Canucks could get to the playoffs next year. Like it wouldn't shock anyone. I don't think that bad, even how bad this season goes. The Canucks could sneak into the playoffs next year. Anything could happen in the regular season. Look at what the Kraken are doing this year, right? Like uh, that's a very big surprise to me. Look at the Avalanche not in a playoff spot. Anything can mm-hmm. happen in the regular season to me. But look at the teams that have playoff success, and that's where anything can't happen. I know Drance has made this famous of anything can't happen in the playoffs, and it to a certain degree, man, it's very true unless. You know, unless you really St. Louis. Yeah. And I guess anything can happen, Chris. I could, I guess I'm wrong, but I just, that goal, the goaltender got incredibly hot there in that one. And maybe that's the anything, right? Like maybe that's the anything because I don't know anything about goaltending anyways. So like, maybe that is the anything right there that I'm missing. But I, I look at the Canucks and how they made the playoffs in the bubble year, making the playoffs was the anything can happen part, you know? Winning that that round against a team that was dealing with COVID and just kind of out of it, that St. Louis Blue, Blues team that you just mentioned, like that was the anything could happen for. I don't think it gets much further than that down the road. So it's it is difficult. I also think it's it's so strange because Canucks fans, I feel like, are at the point where like they don't want to retool anymore. Like they don't. Like everybody's ready for that step back, and like a retool just feels like you're standing still. And it feels like as a Canucks fan, you've just been standing still wondering what the hell's going to happen for the last 10 years. Yeah. And at least taking a step back feels like you're moving, like there's movement and that's better than just standing still with what this team has been. So that's, that's kind of why, like I you know that's what I asked Jim Rutherford today. I, like I asked him the rebuild thing. Like that was where he gave the quote was, it was about my question. I, I asked him the expectations for this team or to get into playoffs. And that's all that we've heard at this point, right? Cause I always think if you at least have a plan from the management group or the president or anything, if there's like a plan put out, then it gives us as podcasters, fans, media, anybody an opportunity to judge the decisions that they're making with this team. Right? Like up to this point, we thought the Canucks were going for a playoff spot this season, right? Everything that was said in training camp, all that stuff was about this team making the playoffs. JT Miller being signed, that's about making the playoffs. Trading for Oliver ekman Larson, that's about making the playoffs. All that is about making the playoffs. So at least today, hearing that there's a retool, 
that should change certain people's minds on how they judge what the moves that this team make moving forward are. So I would have loved to hear rebuild, but like, like I said, it's better than build, build, build. I'll take retool. Yeah. And Jim did say the word tank. Yes. And he so, laughed about it. Yeah. Um, even discrepancy though, a tank is where you purposefully try. You don't, you know, like it's not the benefit of, well, we're just not winning. So that's a tank. No, no. <laughs> um, there's something else that he said as well. He has been talking to coaching candidates, which is unbelievable. Not that he is talking to them. I think everyone under the sun understood there's probably something being said that is not being so transparently shared to the audience in front of the room. Um, but if you're Bruce Boudreaux, like, come on, why is the team like – why not let him go have some dignity? Like I put in our rundown, like when does Bruce get the stunner? And that's a reference to, to Kevin Owens here. Um, one of his favorite, if not favorite uh, wrestlers. I don't also understand. The easiest, uh, the easiest Halloween costume for me to pull off is Kevin Owens. Throw on, throw on the, the shirt, have KO on the front and off you go. Literally like do my hair a little bit different. Yeah. Like why, what is the interest of the Vancouver Canucks keeping them behind the bench? I mean, you don't want to pay three coaches, I guess. Okay. But then like, you know, if you're not wanting to bring talk it in until the end of the season, and I Mm -hmm. use talk it because everyone under the sun is reporting that that's essentially a deal that has been done. Let Bruce have some dignity, slap an interim on anyone. Like I, I just, it makes no sense. Like the only thing that I could think of was like, okay, they just want to make this get to the end of the season. You can't be having the conversations that you're having at this stage, I don't feel, and then come out into the press and say, oh, yeah, I'm having conversations. Yeah, he said today he's been talking to people for two months. Like, and that's you got to give Rutherford props for being honest. You got to love that about him. Like, how many presidents are going to come out and they say, no, we had some conversation for two months about a coach. This was his answer to a question that was asked about a replacement, too. This wasn't just, have you been talking to a coach? Like, this was talking about a replacement. The question was, and he, he talked about it for, you know, like you said, he's been talking for two months. I, I you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's, it's an extremely tough spot for Bruce Boudreaux who just, the guy just loves to coach, right? He comes in, he loves to coach. We see him after practice. He's in normally a pretty good mood. You know, you see him after a loss and it kills him. Like it, it's, the, like the the times we had with Bruce Boudreaux last season when this team was winning compared to what it is this year, it's like a different, it's a different person. And you you feel bad for how the season has gone for Bruce Boudreaux. He might be the guy in this organization that you just have to kind of feel for the most. I mean, he's, he wants to win more than anybody. He wants mm-hmm. to coach a winning team. He wants to win a Stanley cup as a coach. And just the way that things have gone this season, I feel for no one in the organization as much as I do pretty much for Bruce Boudreaux, I'd have to yeah. think like it's, it's a very tough spot that he's been in. And I mean, if we were to rewind to the first uh, after hours that Rutherford was on when asked about why didn't you give Bruce an extension? Well, Bruce got himself an extension. He's back this season, isn't he? <laughs> I, you know, it was like, again, credit to Jim for his continued transparency and honesty. I'm not, I'm, I, 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 I am, I'm upset at myself for why are you saying this? Because I want to hear it. 
but I not at the sake of Bruce. Yeah. And I think to, to make a counter argument as well, like you just did, but to my own point is if you don't want to pay a third coach, like you said, you know, make Mike, yo, that guy, make Trent call that guy, yeah. ride the season into whatever. Right. Like I, I, I think there might be something down the road with Jeremy Carlton, but for every rumor out there, it's just, it sounds like you're just waiting on, on talk it to come in here. And it sounds like he's going to, you know, bring in Sergey Gonchar. We've heard today now. So mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I, I I don't know what that. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, right? Like, is that? Are you going to get the coach bump from well, that? From you? I think you will. I think Gonchar is going to be and talking. I think that they're going to find something different. They're going to change certain things about this team and the way they play. And I think you're going to get a coach bump. Not enough to get you in the playoffs, right? Like enough to get you out of the you know odds of a Bedard. Yeah, but you, that's the thing. It feels like a coach bump here. Would, it gets you out of the Bedard sweepstakes and right back into that mushy middle. Yeah. That's the worst spot. It, but that, that seems to be really the epitome of this Vancouver Canucks team that we have continued to to pay attention to. Like, I actually, I, and you know, we've, we've talked about this at length um, already, but I was thinking back today when I started this show, like C4, this was the Jim Benning era. Like this was pretty much, you know, I guess it wasn't his year before, but like it hasn't changed tune and it's the epitome. It's the mushy middle team. It's what they've been. And that's, I think you could, some people that might want to take a real positive look at a coaching change would be like, yeah, but winning will help build a culture for the next year. Can you, I didn't can you not look year. back 12 months? That's exactly like all that winning they did with Bruce Boudreaux didn't mean anything they started out 0 and 7 so i'm that's kind of back to my point earlier of like i don't think the roster needs as much retooling as just the the room and the something with this organization i don't know man i there's just some bad vibes around this team for a long time and i just gosh i tell you what i don't know maybe the you know like these ai things that are coming out now or they're transcribing they're writing things for you i would mm-hmm. love to hear one if you could somehow input every minute of your show since before the jim benning era into some sort of ai thing and see what <laughs> it would chat gpt to. yeah exactly like would that imagine like uh, the movie script that it could write out if it was somehow able to take the hundreds of hours that you've done doing the show over the years <laughs> the type well, of like I, script in, or in, in fairness c4 and pucks on net. I mean, we've we've covered this team since essentially the same time. You're you're probably onto something. I should probably reach out to Shap and maybe he and I can partnership and uh, get ChatGPT to to run something together. Um, we're going to take ourselves a short break. You listen to the C4 Canucks Hockey Podcast, brought to you by the Full Press Coverage Network and CanucksHockeyBlog.com. Take hitting out of the game. You can't hit anymore, so don't do it. The unsportsmanlike conduct, I want to get an explanation on. No kidding. Because how do you get suspended for unsportsmanlike conduct? Plus interference. There's no interference there. He had the puck. Now, Madison never, ever did that before. Now, why did he do it? That Because he was mad. Well, your early favorite for the Calder (laughs) Trophy, that's for sure. Elias Patterson, you might even say your early favorite for the Hart Trophy. (laughs) Just to get back to your question, Elias is going to play plenty. He's going to get a lot of power play time and... Yeah, I'm concerned about our offense. We lost 200-point players, and we've got to find a way to score. 
I wanted to talk about something that's actually a little more half full. It's what's going on up Highway 1 uh, in Abbotsford. I talked a little bit about uh, the uh, team in Abbey with uh, Jay last week, but uh, I don't know if someone who follows Canucks prospects any better than you. Like, you know, credit to yourself who doesn't sleep who seems to watch Canucks prospects play in, in every league imaginable. Um, I don't know if there are any prospects that are playing in uh, APAC, which maybe that's your window of, of sleep. But, uh, but if that were to be the case, you'd probably be rocking 24 hours a day. Um, but I wanted to talk to you about what Carlton is cooking up down there in, uh, in Abbotsford. Uh, how is he so much different than Cull? Because it's arguably a very similar roster, is it not? Yeah, I think you've got some very young players down there. Um, Jim Rutherford mentioned it in his presser of like, I think, uh, 13 or 14 guys under the age of 23. So Colleton's benefiting from getting a second year of a lot of these players to a certain mm-hmm. degree. You could say. Second year of Danilo Klimovich, you know, second year of Tristan Nielsen, Captain Chase Waters. That's got to help. But it was while I was doing a uh, I was doing a hit on Halford and Bruff one morning and they were asking about Abbotsford and I was talking about it and they were asked, like, what is Carlton doing well? And I was like, well, and I was talking about it. I was like, just from thinking, like, I think I watched an Abbotsford game that night, the night before, but I also watched a Vancouver game the night before. It was like a four to seven worked out well. I got to watch both. And then I watched the Abbotsford game and I was like, they have like a forward so low, like helping out the defenseman break the puck out. They also have forwards coming in and helping around the net instead of two defensemen going to one side. And I had this like realization as I'm giving the answer on Halford and Bruff that like, this is structure like this here. This is structure. I was like, the Abbotsford Canucks have structure. That's what it is. Like, wow. Both defensemen don't go to the guy with the puck and leave the whole other side open. They stay in their spots and a forward supports to add extra things. So like there's a lot there from Jeremy Carlton where, I think that the structure is the big thing, and that's obviously a big word in the Canucks organization. Mm-hmm. But if you watch these Abbotsford games, like I've seen the HL, I've watched it for years now, and I'm not saying that Colton's team is perfect with their structure. There's still an AHL team that has some huge lapses all the time, and that's why I think don't ever look at goaltending stats for the AHL. Like Archer Silovs is is playing, I think, very good hockey this year. He's still sitting with a save percentage of 903. And you're like, oh, that's just above 900. That's incredible. He's playing really good in the AHL. There's a lot of scoring chances, but Colleton's got these guys playing extremely well in the situations where a player needs support, I think. And I think that it's a good spot where when you need an extra forward to support you down in your own zone in the corner, the right forward's there. It's not the second defenseman. So I think that in the situations where you're breaking out the puck and you need an extra forward deep to help you with, you know, gain a majority in a breakout instead of having a guy be covered by a guy, you have an extra man there who's open. It just, it feels like they have some sort of game plan that just makes sense. Like I kind of, it was so funny, like talking about this before I said it. And then I was like, wait, like that's structure. And I was like, it, it clicked in my mind at that point, like at whatever, seven in the morning when I was on Halford and Bruff on like three hours of sleep. And it just made sense. Like, yeah, the Abbotsford Canucks, listen, they're still an ab like they're still an HL team, mm-hmm. but 
they look like they have more structure than the NHL team with a lot of the things that they do in a game of hockey. And that's got to be props to what Jeremy Colleton's doing down there. Yeah. Well, and you know, there are some that suggest, Oh, give Colleton the opportunity to come up to Vancouver. But I, you know, think the counter argument is one, why two, do you really want to disrupt what's going on in Abbotsford? And based on what Jim had been talking about bringing in young players who have an impact, I think the tie in there is that there may be players who have an opportunity next season under a new coach um, to perform. So I guess twofold. One, does Colin get a chance in the NHL sooner than later? And two, who is it that you like in the near future down there in Abbotsford to, to actually arguably have a chance at a, an NHL job? Yeah, I'd say if, if Colton had this team top of the AHL, he'd be probably having NHL teams knocking at the end of the season. But he's, he doesn't have them there. I think they're third in the Pacific, fourth in the Pacific or something. So he's getting a lot out of a team that, listen, Cody Sievertson's a great example of someone else who follows the Savage for a team. You know, obviously Anna follows this team as well. I think Anna would say that this team looked like it was going to be worse than it was last year. You lost some very important pieces from the Outdoor Canucks team last year that wasn't great like they got into the playoffs they they got swept in the playoffs there but it felt like the roster was going to take a step back but these young players have stepped up and i think that you've got to give Colton props there but i don't think he's at the point to answer your first question where he's nhl teams are you know knocking on his door to get him into their their he might have a deal out there somewhere at the end of the season but i i think the interesting thing about jim rutherford is like he seems to do a good job of like convincing people that this is the spot and Vancouver, like the Canucks organization has a plan probably for Colton. And I bet Colton's probably pretty happy about that spot that he's been put in mm-hmm. because it's a good opportunity for him down there. Now it's where he's only an hour away from the NHL team. It's not like a, a situation where you're that far away from the big club, big clubs take notice of what he's doing for sure. So there could be something down the road for him, or maybe it gets him into assistant job at the NHL level, but you got to like what he's doing right now. But I don't think NHL teams are, are coming just yet. Uh, for him and as for your second question was it guys that are coming up soon to the nhl you want to know Yeah, i mean you know my thought is that next year there should be roster spots for the taking um now how many has to do with the contracts that the rutherford's gonna buy out in the off season um so that's two um we just don't know which two i mean oel was in the press box Mm -hmm. so who knows? Um, but is there is there anyone that you could say, yeah, this guy's gonna they're gonna make it tough on the Canucks to send them back down? I would love, and I don't think this is gonna happen, but the Swedish trio of Linus Carlson, Niels Huglander, and Niels Amon hmm. being like a new age fourth line after gelling together, these guys these guys play together in the summer. Like they play an exhibition game together in the summer, they practice together in the summer. This trio looks very good at the AHL level. Linus Carlson's got 28 points in 35 games this year. If the Canucks commit to taking a step back, that would be a really fun line to watch in the NHL next year, be in a fourth line role where they play like seven, eight minutes a game. Like that could be really fun. But as for like, and that's just fun. I wouldn't bank mm-hmm. on it happening, but as for players who are coming up next year, you're going to get Pod Colson back. You're going to get Huglander back for sure. I don't know if there's one guy who is kind of like in grade 12 about to graduate type of thing. Christian Willanen would be interesting. He's the all-star for the Abbotsford Canucks this year, but he doesn't have a contract with the Vancouver Canucks next season. 
there's not really a name like you could use Jack Rathbone maybe as an example, but everyone else feels like another year or two away from really being an NHLer. The closest you could probably say, maybe Justin Dowling, maybe Phil DiGiuseppe, but it's like, are these guys long-term fixes with the Vancouver Canucks? No. Are they going to potentially be NHL Canucks this year like like Sheldon Dries has for the Canucks next season? Potentially. So those are the two names I'd probably mention as guys playing in the NHL next year. Uh, and as my grade 12 analogy was there, they're, they're kind of like 24-year-old grade 12s. Like they're they're a little bit older, but maybe they're ready for the, the job at this point. Yeah, they, um, they have extra seasoning in grade 12. They, they got held back a year, but that's helped yeah. in their, their advancement. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Like, you know, was it GED? There's no problem with one of those. Like, you, you no, know, no. I think go far on the GED. G- and, and PDG, uh, Phil DiGiuseppe, like he's, I still, I thought, he, I still think he's got some NHL potential as like a fourth, third line guy. So I'm, I'm curious if we get a chance to see him this season, what he looks like at the NHL level. He's, I don't know. He's kind of like, uh, he's like the killer well who like plays with their food before they eat it in the NHL. He, there's a lot of things where you're just like, ah, what's he doing here? Like he's, he's too good for this type of thing. If Phil DiGiuseppe is going up against like a fourth line or a third pairing in the NHL, he's playing with his food and, mm-hmm. Like he's a very good AHL player. I think that there's a lot in in Phil DiGiuseppe's game that hasn't been unlocked at the NHL level yet. So I think he would be my guy to kind of think that he should be playing NHL games next season. And that's of course aside from Hugliner and Pod Colson, who I think are just here to get their chem like their confidence and kind of you know work on a few different things before they get back to the NHL. Certainly. And and sort of one final prospect question: uh, Who's making it worthwhile to stay up late to watch right now for the Vancouver Canucks? <laughs> well, you know what? Without Pod Colson uh, in the KHL, there's not a like three o'clock wake up anymore. The oh. the second division in Sweden, and actually this was this was the best because like when when it was uh, when it was Huglander and Pod Colson, it was a lot of four o'clock starts in the morning and a lot of seven o'clock starts, and they were a lot of back to backs because mm-hmm. uh, European hockey just line, they like to play on Saturdays, they like to play on Fridays, and they like to have weird times on Sunday, so. It's nice now. The Swedish second division normally starts at 10 in the morning. So that's kind of the guy that I have to watch in Jonathan LeCaramacchi. So 10 in the morning is, is incredible. But now, because I'm covering the, the Vancouver Canucks full time and I live beside the rink, I'm down at the rink at 10 o'clock. So a lot of the time, like trying to have conversations with like all the other media members while like I'm looking down at like the score. And if I have to like rewind to like see if LeCaramacchi was the one who scored. So I guess maybe it's a good thing that he hasn't scored a ton uh, this year. He's got one goal in 22 games, so I haven't missed a lot uh, from yeah. having to watch Canucks practice and, and watch the Karamaki at the same time. But uh, I will say one guy to be excited about, um, and we you know we talk about it at the NHL level being excited about Elias Pettersson. I also think in the prospect pool, Elias Pettersson is the guy who has definitely climbed the most uh, in my personal rankings of them. And and by the way, that'll I am working on the. Uh, my top 10 rankings for Canucks army. So that'll be out there soon. That's the don't ask me for a plug at the end of the episode. That's my plug right there. Uh, our top 10 uh, prospect ranks will be coming up soon. And I'll tell you what, Elias Pettersson, what he did at the world juniors, what he's doing at the SHL this year, uh, 24 games in the SHL as an 18 year old. And he's playing good. He does a lot of things that I really like. So Elias Pettersson's the prospect that I'm pretty excited about with this organization and Klimovich as well. He's got, uh, he's got 16 points now in his last, uh, 19 games we didn't really talk about him much on the ahl there but 16 points in his last uh like i said 19 games uh seven of those are goals so kids putting up points he's scoring goals it's good to see from klimovich who had a 
horrendous start to the season. You know, it's it's interesting that uh, there are some, you know, pretty impressive up and coming young kids that would work really well in a four or five years time. Yeah. And you could add more of those or you could go for 24 year olds. And uh, <laughs> I, I hate it. Like I, I heard that today where it was like, like second chance NHLers. And I just thought, why not get a first chance uh, prospect <laughs> what do you just no. with your third round pick? No, that takes too long. It takes you. You got to develop them. You 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 gotta you gotta build up like it takes a while. No, we don't. We, you guys can't. You've been tolerating this for ten years. You don't have it. You do another five. Ugh. I thought like, yeah, these guys that you're talking about maybe needing a second chance. They've already had a a development run, right? Like you know, like maybe you find something every once in a while with these players, but their shelf time, like their shelf life, is much lower than getting a chance to draft and and hand pick the player that you want to develop instead of taking this player and trying to develop them, man, like, you know, you got to be pretty damn confident in your development team. If you're just taking somebody else's scrap and, or maybe not scrap, but just like not handpicking the player that you see fitting into your yeah. development team, instead, just putting your development team and hoping they fit on the player to find whatever it is. I mean, it's, I, I had someone refer to Jared McCann as being a prime example as a player who, you know, didn't work out in Vancouver, didn't work out in Florida didn't work out in Pittsburgh and look what he's doing in Seattle. So I think they were trying to pause it. That's your fourth chance. Well, Jared McCann, it's not that he didn't work out in Vancouver. He had a season and it was a see you later. Florida, he seemed to be doing well, but they then sent him to Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, you know, like every other team had to make people available and yeah, he's had a turnaround in in uh, in Seattle, but uh, yeah, I I would love first chance players. I'd love it too. I just you know I would. That's the other thing. I'd love to like I want to get back to the heydays of uh, going from the KHL to the SHL in the morning, just having prospects every like. <laughs> at least with them, like people, I don't think people care as much about um, Jonathan Lekaramaki's Corsi, but like when I was in the heydays of covering. Hug Leonard and Pod Colson, where I was like hand tracking uh, or computer tracking, whatever you want to call it. I was compute, like just tracking his Corsi as games were going. And people really loved it. They like loved that Pod Colson had like an 80% Corsi that game. And now I can like tweet out the Corsi of LeCarrie Mackey and everyone's just like, ah, whatever, blow. Like they just rip on it because it's like he hasn't scored <laughs> in many games or anything like that. So I, I want to get to. Uh, I, I, selfishly, I'd love to see this prospect pool be be blasted again because that's like that's my zone, man. I, I love yeah. covering prospects and hoping well, for the best. Well, as we we look to wrap things up, we've been going on forever. We got to get you on more often so that we can talk more frequently, but not as long. Because I always feel like I'm I'm taking too much of your time. Uh, what have you been up to these days? Because you know when you were last joined us, you were you were on the radio, what have you? But now you had mentioned you're covering the Canucks full time with Canucks Army. Um, you're not having to stay up as late. Yeah, I, you know what? I'd love to come back because I know uh, I always like um, people chatting about the AHL, and I'd love to chat with Anna. Love chatting with you, Chris. We could do this for another hour, but I love talking AHL. That's why I love chatting with uh, Cody Sievertson's a great example. Uh, mm-hmm. But I know Anna's locked in as well, so she's uh, another person I'd love. I like having a conversation about the AHL team because, like, I'm the only media member out there who's like I'm I go in there and I have five minutes with whoever I want instead of a scrum for five minutes it's me for five minutes with name HL player here so like I love to chat with someone else to watch the HL but uh yeah as for me just uh full-time working with Canucks Army right now I live 
uh, right at Rogers Arena. I you know get a chance to go to every practice in the morning. It's it's a blast. I'm uh, living the dream that uh, that I wanted when I found out that I couldn't be an athlete. So getting a chance to cover the sports just as fun. And uh, we're doing the show on YouTube, quads and I, and, and just having a blast doing everything. It's it's nice to. Um, yeah, I guess last time I would have been on here, it was like. I was working three different jobs. I was also full-time at PCIT and like things were incredibly hectic and uh, not like things have gotten much less hectic. I just don't have three bosses anymore. So that's nice yeah. just to have one instead and, and not have to do school. That's a great part as well. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, living it up and uh, still talking prospects, still covering the team and just having a good time full-time on it. Awesome. Living the dream is what's most important. Uh, that's mm. what I'm doing. I, I always wanted to hear my own voice, and here I am recording a podcast. You, on the other hand, are you know the person that everyone refers to as knowing the most about the Vancouver Canucks, asking questions in French, uh, and uh, probably some of the most intelligent questions I've ever heard of a, out of a presser. So, so well done, young young man. Thank you. I thought about it we've we've joked about this uh as we're waiting for bruce boudreau after practice a lot of the time uh he normally addresses the team after a practice or after a game and the media like us in the media have kind of joked about it like we should is it babble to learn a language is that what it's called i think one uh, of the yeah, i think babble is one of them duolingo duolingo that's the other one we've been thinking like let's like we should in all this time where it's 10 to 15 sometimes 20 minutes if it's a really bad game like we should be learning a language. And then by the end of the year, we could all do a press availability with Pedersen in Swedish. And like, that would be unreal. And I think about it, I'm like, man, the hours that we've put in just standing around there doing nothing, uh, we could have picked up a lot of Swedish at this point. So that's my next thing. I'm working on Swedish. I've literally, I have started uh, just like a couple little podcasts about how to learn some Swedish. So I'll be working on that uh, in the next little bit here. That would be well, a lot of fun. I look forward to the end of the season presser when you ask a question in Swedish. Um, as we wrap up the show here, a uh, few notes to all of our listeners. As always, you can support the show by going to support.c4podcast.com. It's our new supporter-funded program through Buy Me a Coffee. But Anna and I uh, decided we'd prefer pints. Gives you an opportunity to support us on a regular basis, monthly or yearly. Get a discount or just one time where you can buy us a pint. Uh, you can also obviously find us in Discord talking about everything and anything. Uh, right now, the conversations that are positive are about food. Um because how can you go wrong with food? Except Anna, who said that uh, we don't do bacon right. But what she implies is bacon is not bacon. And someone needs to express that to her. Have you ever had, like, the UK version of bacon? I have a feeling it's not great uh, from what I've heard about UK food. It, it's it, it Well, I mean, I think we would interpret it as more like back bacon. Um, mm -hmm. But it's not back bacon. Uh, yeah, it's, no, I... Is it just like a slice of ham? I, that's what I see it as. A like little a, a thick slice meat. of ham that's not like you, you, you have to cut. Like it's essentially you want to have a ham steak. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I'm down with a ham steak and I don't know. I'd give it a try. Honestly, any uh, any breakfast meat yeah. is normally pretty good. I can't think of a bad breakfast meat. So, but okay. I'll just say it because uh, I know Anna's too sassy for her own good. She's wrong. Whatever she says about the, the food take, Thank it's you. wrong. I'll just say Thank that. You. Um, but yeah, joining discord to have these conversations, discord.io slash a C4 podcast, uh, Faber, where can all our listeners find you? I'm sure they've already found you, but just in case they haven't. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at, uh, at Chris Faber 39. And if you wonder why it's 39, it's cause I was born in the year 93. So there's a little fun fact. Oh, I was almost out of high school by then. <laughs> Anyhow, 
I am Chris Adelaide Forrest. He is Chris Faber at Chris Faber underscore 39. It's underscore 39. Did I get that right? No, no 39. No underscore. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want any more Twitter followers. The, the, the problem with, is Anna's underscore number, and it always throws me off because it's just in my brain. I almost actually said you could follow Chris Faber at A4 site 03. <laughs> I remember maybe it would have been seven, eight, maybe six years, seven years ago. I remember tweeting at uh, an A4 site. It was a long time because I was listening. I've listened to you guys. You know this. I've listened basically yeah. start with you guys. I remember tweeting and then Anna tweeted back at me. This is the wrong Anna Force. <laughs> like all that stuff. So that was uh, that was funny with the old underscore thing there. Uh, anyhow, we're out.